You yeah. charged up to fuck. You are. I don't and all your little cronies will be like that. I don't well in cash, well in cash. You said this to me, you said that. Well in lad. Hey. Look at the fucking look at the fucking state of them. I'm fucking batter yet. Come on, love it. What are you saying? What are you saying? You you want to have it outside the thing? Hope you're ready. What? Hope you're ready for war. Mate, you're gonna get fucking battered. I'm telling you. You know what I'm Look, we could argue. Look, we could argue all day. We could argue all day. But look. What? What are you saying? You know when I've knocked you out? I'll fucking knock you out as well. Dickhead. You fucking gobshite. All things being equal, that may may well come into it, but. I'm a completely different level from Cash Alley. I'm a, I'm a different, completely breed. Completely different breed. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where Katie Taylor stopped us all being narco-terrorist experts for, for a week at least, if nothing else. And we're able to reflect on, on a week where, you know, women's boxing has finally ascended to main event status. And look... I want the early part of this podcast to be just a, a celebration of what we saw on Saturday. What we saw on Saturday was the legitimization of women's boxing to a lot of non-boxing viewers, if that makes sense. So I think we've we've shown that actually this is a, it's a serious competition amongst the women. And respect to Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano for for putting it on the line, for giving us the... That was the fight we wanted to see. Now, if you were to ask me, is that Casey Taylor's best ever fight? My answer is no. I think the Natasha Jonas fight was better. It was done at a higher skill level for a start because of you know, the respective pedigrees of both ladies. And I think it's the more meaningful fight for me as a guy who, who spends a lot of time in the sport. But much like Gatti Ward won, sometimes you just need two people to beat the brakes off each other. And that's what Casey Taylor and Amanda Serrano did. They just beat the brakes off each other. That, that could have been Madison Square Garden. That could have been Temple Bar. That could have been, you know what I mean, 57th Ave. It could have been anywhere. And they would have just swung at it like that. There might have been some hair pulling, some body slamming. And that's what I loved. It was just a fight. And that's what we've wanted for a long time. I think the question we always had was, when we look at women's boxing, what product are they going to give us, right? That's what we really think. What, what is the women's boxing product? And for me, what we saw on Saturday is that product. So when you look back in that fight and you look and you think how you felt on the Friday before and you thought, you go, this time last week, you're like, Katie, bit too big, bit too strong, bit too experienced, right? Because of what we've been fed about her. And a lot of it's true and a lot of it is, I mean, hyperbolic is what I would say. And you've got Amanda Serrano, you know, dances up and down the weights. You know, we can question how, when and why, but she dances up and down the weights and they've managed to manufacture her into a credible threat, right? So on the Friday, we're like, this should be okay for Katie. She can avoid unnecessary punishment. <laughs> we get to round one and it's like, nope, she has no intention of avoiding any unnecessary punishment. And... You start to watch that fight. I watched that fight and I've seen elements of it back. And I just say, has Katie Taylor ever had a defense? Has she ever been slick? Or has it always just been that sort of run and circle and just hope that you can outwork people? And look, in the amateurs, it did wonders for her, right? But you're essentially dealing with someone in Katie Taylor who's been boxing since she was a kid, right? 
you know, from having to allegedly dress up as a boy to box. She's done everything in the sport. You know, you have to respect her as an athlete, right? Played football for her country, boxed for her country, won a gold medal for her country. You know, stand up and give the woman a round of applause, please. But here's the thing. Here's the kicker. You're fighting someone in Amanda Serrano who hasn't had all of that. She hasn't had all of that. But what she has supposedly is raw power. Now, where did that come from? We can ask questions because we know in 2007, Amanda Serrano was involved in Operation Dumbbell, which was, I think it was either the NYPD or FBI. I never really remember. But American law enforcement were investigating the sale of steroids out of two gyms, uh, Powerhouse Gym, which I think owned by Bev Francis, and there was another gym. And within this, there was a guy, as a Jordan Maldonado, who was the boyfriend of Cindy Serrano, but was the manager of Amanda Serrano. This is when Amanda was doing the Golden Gloves with the view of going pro. So they were trying to build her profile. And it was all about the Serrano sisters, which explains the Twitter name. So they all get arrested. Banked to rights for selling the steroids and everything. Uh, Maldonado does a year for it, right? Although they were looking at nine initially. Cindy was looking at jail time. She got off. And Amanda Serrano was charged. Right? Amanda Serrano was charged. That means she was involved in a conspiracy to supply steroids. Now you're looking at it and her manager is Maldonado, the guy who went to jail for supplying the steroids. And we're supposed to believe that there was no contamination. She was around steroids in this conspiracy seemingly enough to be charged. So it wasn't like it was an accidental thing. And not only does she not face jail time, I don't think she went to court. That tells me that they, they planned what to do. And they said, Maldonado will take the hit, which he did. And the Serrano's got off, but it always left that stench that they were always too close to the steroid game. And upon his release, Maldonado carried on managing Amanda Serrano. I think he's still involved now. So you make of that what you will. And that's why for me, I'll always rate the Jonas fight higher because I don't have those suspicions about Natasha Jonas. So what you have is you've got Katie Taylor, who's got all the advantages, right? And you've got Amanda Serrano, who hasn't. But she's got that, that alleged equalizer of the needle in the ass. And we don't think that's going to be a big deal because we're like, Katie Taylor's seen everything. Jonas can bang. And we get to round three and we're like, no, no, this power is serious. She's beating the old age into Katie Taylor right now. This is, this is not going to plan. This is not going to plan. And, you know, K Katie's there like, this is Amanda Serrano. I should be able to stand and trade with her. And it's dawning on her that this is hard. And then you had the fifth round. All right, yeah, that fifth round, round five that everyone talks about, where Katie's absolutely rocked, you know, half asleep in this fight. I wonder how seriously she took this fight because up, up until round five, you're like, this is far closer than it ever should have been. I don't think Tasha Jonas would have been taking those kinds of risks. And now Katie Taylor looks like she's out. And here, here's, for me, the point where women's boxing became real was when Katie Taylor had that Rocky moment. You know, in Rocky films, he gets that moment, doesn't he? Where it's that one punch that hurts. And it's about, are you going to come back from this shot? You know, and that's the metaphor in the whole thing. Are you going to come back from this? It's not about how many times you get knocked down, but how many times you get back up and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. <laughs> right? And that's the point. And, and here's where you have to have a lot of respect for Katie Taylor. Because what Katie Taylor's done is she said, you ain't going to take me out. 
Others may have wilted under that pressure. Katie said, you ain't going to take me out. I'm going to figure out a way to win. I'm going to work my way back into the fight. And it reminded me of the first Ward-Kovalev fight. You remember when Ward got dropped? And up until that point, Kovalev had just had something over Ward. I don't know if that Ward took him lightly, but that sort of, that secondary jab that Kovalev used to throw when he'd almost turn his jab into a straight left, it had Ward confused. But after he got dropped in the second, some people say he tripped. I say he kind of tripped, but he did get put down as well. And you saw him claw his way back in. He didn't go looking for the knockdown, but he said, God, I've really got to win every round going forward. And I think Katie Taylor had that mindset after round five and six, where she was like, I have to impress the judges. I have to keep the judges believing that I'm the better fighter in this fight. And that's how Katie worked. There was no real tactical finesse to it. If you were looking at it critically, you'd say, Katie, you should have gone to the body a lot more often. Like used your your size and your experience there just to just to slow her down and drain the power out of Amanda Serrano. There's some tactical things she could have done. But I genuinely think Katie was of the mindset that she was so far ahead of Amanda Serrano. She didn't need to do any of that. And in the same voice, we've got to tip our hat off to the alleged drug cheat Amanda Serrano because she played her part in this fight. That she was still there at the end of round 10 and you knew she was spent after round five because she put a lot into that round. But even in round 10, to be stood there with Katie Taylor, Olympic gold medalist, Olympic bronze medalist as well, to be stood there with her trading, like that's, that's Hollywood stuff. You, you, you don't script a fight. You just don't. And, and everyone must have felt like me at the end of that fight going, this is what's legitimized women's boxing on a global level. I think Jonas versus Taylor did it on a British level, British and Irish level, and made us believe. And this took it global. Now, how many Katie Taylors and Amanda Serranos do we have? Not many. So we're going to have a bit of a lull now. We're not going to have that sort of fight for a while. While we build up the Ellie Scottneys, while we build up the, um, who else is coming through? Who's looking exciting now? Even Ebony Bridges to an extent. While we build all these names up, while we, while we build up the Chantal Camerons, and we're still building her up, while we build up all of these names, the McCaskills, the Bam Gardners, the Jamie Mitchells, while we build them up into credible names, let's not lose heart and let's not lose faith because I think this might be the one where you start to say there's a logic for an all-female card at that level. Not to say that it never happened before, but there's a, there's a logic to it now. I, you can see you can see how a card like that would stack up. I'd almost do Shields Marshall as an all-female card and just have it evenly matched like that. You know, but it's about do you want to risk your revenue for that marketing opportunity? That's the real question. I think Eddie can do it because he's playing with DAZN's money, but I think it's harder on Sky because they need to bring money in to justify what they're doing. But I just thought the fight was fantastic. Um, the things that fall out of that fight, you know, what happens next for Katie Taylor? If she doesn't fight Natasha Jonas next, retire. I don't want to see the second Serrano fight because I don't think Katie would be that reckless again. I think you'd see Katie being far more structured, going to the body far more. And I think Amanda Serrano would slow down quicker and it would be a more convincing win for Katie Taylor. I wasn't mad with the result this time. People say it wasn't 97-93. Fine. I had it six rounds to four for Katie Taylor. I think that's a fair result for the fight. I thought she just she just controlled a lot more of it. I think Serrano had a lot of good rounds in the middle, 
by Katie kind of buttressed at either side. So I don't necessarily want to see that again because I don't feel that was a hard... That wasn't a fight that took a lot, a lot out of Katie in terms of having to think. It did physically, and she might not be the same afterwards. But the Jonas one is the one for me. If you, if you are going to do the Irish homecoming, the Jonas fight's the one for me. I just Because I don't think you can question Natasha Jonas's profile. You can't question her achievements. That's the fight we'd want to see. If we were going to put money down for Katie Taylor to fight someone, it would be Natasha Jonas. I just, it's my view. People may disagree, but that's what I think. The other question is, do you now give women three-minute rounds? My answer to that is no, 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 hell no, hell no. And here's why. At the moment, women get two rounds of activity, two minutes of activity, one minute rest. That's a two-to-one ratio. That's nice. Yeah, that's nice. You, you try it. Jump on a rowing machine, row as hard as you can for two minutes, rest for one. Right? You're probably doing 500 meters with a minute rest. You can get to about five or six of those. And then anything after that, you're just seeing the white light because it's taking that much out of you. Now I say, imagine doing that for three and you're having to do 750 meters. You'll be, you'll be on your ass after three or four of those just because of the, the lack of recovery time. So I think what the current structure for female boxing or women's boxing allows you to do, this is what it allows you to do. It allows you to push harder. And that's what we need. We need that differentiator of this is going to be more intense. And I think if you took it to three rounds, you'd lose that intensity. You know? And you'd, you'd slow the pace down. And it'd be more like the men's where you'd need, you definitely need a better jab and better ring control and a better ability to close down distance and so forth. It, it would challenge your skills a lot more. So do you want to go to three? Probably not. I, I would actually flip it round and I'd say, why don't we do 15 two-minute rounds? Okay. Because if you talk about 10 threes, you're talking about 30 minutes of activity, right? And nine minutes of rest, but really 10 minutes of rest. Let's go to 15 twos, where you've got 30 minutes of activity and 15 minutes of rest. I think it'll be hard enough, and you'll start to get that, that draining effect in the championship rounds without necessarily doing that long-term harm that I think you know the WBC are definitely concerned about. So I'd like to see it done that way. Let's go to 15 twos. If, if we feel actually the performance levels and the stamina levels are such that we can go down to 12 threes, cool, we can do that. But I would experiment with adding more rounds and not making the rounds longer. It's just my take on it. Now, other people have different views, fine. You know, that's what the debate's about. But I, I, I do look at that and go, fantastic. And I also think what that fight did is it said, pay these ladies what they're worth. They anchored that show. Liam Smith and Vargas didn't anchor that show. No one else anchored that show. Emma Williams did not anchor that show. Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano did. Ably assisted by Jake Paul and Eddie Hearn, but it was those two who anchored it. And this is one of the few times I'm not going to interrogate the supposed numbers and stuff because I want this to be a feel-good story about women's boxing because I want the, I want the, the new breed you mean Ellie Scottney's, Karis Artingstall's, Lauren Price's. I want those guys. I want them to be excited about what the sport can give them if they push hard, if they market themselves properly. You know, and when we get people like Amy Broadhurst come through in a couple of years and all these sort of, I want them to be like, I can have a super fight because they deserve it. 
slightly different form of entertainment. I love the fact that the bigger fights happen quicker for women than they do for men. So we kind of go through this cycle. The risk with that is you almost end up in a lull after a point. So I, I'm now like, well, after this, after Shields Marshall, what's next? That's what I'm stuck. I'm like, okay, Chantel, Cameron, Sandy, Ryan, but it's not quite the same yet. And so these are the challenges we have to overcome. These are the things we have to think through and think around. How do we make women's boxing sustainable to the point where people are making a good living, a good living inside the ring and outside the ring? Because we've got to support that. You know, gyms are full of young women and women in general. Now it's not, it's not a novelty anymore. You know, you've got the media personality. So shouts out to Melissa Zad because she, she had a, Oh, she's got her first fight today, Friday, actually. So good luck to her in that. So everyone's stepping in, everyone's stepping up. And we should be congratulating this. I think it's a good thing. And so overall, man, I think it's a positive experience. Um, I was buzzing. In, in the fight week, I said the build-up had been lackluster and it felt that way. But the, but the in-ring action meant that we all went back and revisited everything. And let's start giving Jake Paul his due because he's turning into the perfect promoter, his youth, his lack of long-term involvement in the sport means that he comes at it from a different angle and he's fearless because he knows what he brings to the table and he can keep Eddie Hearn in check because there's nothing Eddie can say. I think Jake Paul has more money than Eddie Hearn. It's as simple as that. So stripping all of that down, let's, let's tip a hat off to what happened on Saturday night. I think that was just great for women's boxing. It was it was what was needed. And I think for me, the next evolution is can Natasha Jonas get down to 135 to fight Katie Taylor? That's, that's what I'd be intrigued to find out because that's, that's the fight for me. Yeah, that's the fight. And if that were to happen, I mean, you'll find me front and center of that one. So the great thing about Saturday was we actually got to see both sides of the sport and both, I think, are equally amazing. So, you know, we got the... Smash bang wallop of Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, you know, just pure war games there. And then you had the the clinic by Shakur Stevenson against Oscar Valdez. And look, looking back on that, it's easy to say Oscar Valdez was overmatched, but he had really, he had good names, guys like Evgeny Gradovich. You know, these aren't names to be sniffed at. You know, he took the belt off Scott Quigg and now he's taking the belt off Oscar Valdez. They're credible wins. You know, those are wins where you can say, actually, for where he's at in his career. Remember, six years ago, he was at the Olympics or he was preparing for the Olympics six years ago. Now, when you reflect on that, you say, right, this, this Shakur Stevenson kid is something special. Who else from 2016 is pulling up trees right now? No one. What's Tony Oka doing? He's drifting into mediocrity right now. Joe Joyce, knocking on the door, waiting for something to happen. Um, in terms of, you know, look, even the guy that beat Shakur, Rob Esley Ramirez, like, where's he? He's, he's, he's coming up. And so you've got this young guy, Shakur Stevenson, who's just like, nah, you're not holding me back. And so the Valdez fight's a credible fight. You know, Valdez won his belt off Miguel Burchell. That's a damn credible win because of what Burchell could do. Now, that win was so decisive, Burchell's not the same man by any stretch of the imagination. So what Shakur was doing was taking, he was taking a lot of equity out of Valdez and even Burchell, and he's elevated himself to, 
to the man at 130, unquestionably. And when you watch him box, it's insane. Like sometimes I'll watch a guy like Shakur Stevenson and all I'll do, I'll just watch his feet. Those small adjustments, his ability to, to perceive what's coming next and just make sure he's not in position to receive it. That's, that's honed. That's, that's hours in the ring. That's hours really breaking down your style. That's, a, that's someone in boxing who takes development seriously. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I don't trust boxers who have a low skill level, but a freakishly high knowledge of the sport. Because my attitude is you're wasting your time on the wrong things. Right? You don't have your priorities in order. And people who don't have their priorities in order don't tend to go far on anything. And when I look at, and, uh, let me not name names in terms of fighters, but you'll know who I'm talking about. They put a lot of stuff online about boxing, but not about their development. And that tells me that their head's in the wrong place. You know, the knowledge side is what you get your trainer in for. That's, that's what you need your trainer for. If you, if you are having to educate yourself about boxing, then you don't trust your trainers. And if you're just there trying to show people how clever you are about boxing, you're wasting your time. So that's how I feel about a lot of these guys who talk about that. I like people with a high skill level. And essentially, that's, that's, that's the important thing. Do you have a high skill level? Shakur Stevenson has a high skill level. I don't know if he knows much about boxing. I don't think it matters. He's got people around him who do, but he can execute. And what he's able to do is look at his own development and break down, actually, you know, what do I need to react here? What am I reading here? What are the key tells? If I position myself here, how much risk do I mitigate? And he's making all of these calculations in the fight. There's some things that he has to fix. But when I watch Shakur Stevenson, you can see the, the elements that he had as an amateur, but you can also see some of those Crawford influences the the ability to to manage the space and the, that, that sense of knowing when to go in and put the pressure on and then when to step back i love that it's one of the things i love about crawford he doesn't you know like spence will just bludgeon you round after round you're going to get bludgeoned it's going to be savage crawford's more of a he's like a leopard you know just jumps out at the right moment grabs you straight back in the tree risk-free I think Shakur Stevens is getting a bit of that. Likes a bit more pop in his shots. He's got that annoying habit of just stiff arming people. You know where people just put their extended arm in your face. Now I don't agree with that because it's number one, it's a foul. Number two, it's lazy. You know, you you should be using your eyes and your feet in order to manage the distance in the space. But they're all things that can be fixed, and it just points to Bob Arum having a hell of a stable man, like. When you can have Shakur Stevens and Troy Isley and Keyshawn Davis on the same card, you know your future's bright. Like three guys who can absolutely fight. Absolutely fight. And so Bob understands where the future is. And I think you have to give the man credit for getting it right yet again. So I thought that was a solid card. I think for, for boxing fans, that was good. It's a shame that the audience was split, but hey, these things happen in boxing. But I thought, yeah, that was a good weekend of boxing. It put boxing in a really, really good light. And I think as fans... We should all be proud and happy about that. So I'm trying to think what else has happened in boxing. So Ben Whitaker signed with Boxer and Sky. Um, not a surprise. I think I've said for a long time, he's a Sky Sports guy. And the best thing about him is he's got that thing. And I will word this carefully. You see, when you come from London, right? You're very niche. Like 
if you especially if you're from like south or east london you're very niche in that most people it's 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 a, it's a turn off now i don't even think it's a race thing to be honest with you i think it's a culture thing and it's a can we understand what you're saying thing and i think you find that people from the regions it can be someone like a like an Achaemenus Brown, Linus Dofia. It can be um, a Zach Parker. It can be a Marcus Morrison. It could be any one of these guys from the regions and they seem to be more relatable. And Ben's got that coming from the Midlands as is Solomon, Delicious. These guys have that where it's more relatable. Everyone knows a guy like him. Just, I, said, I said that was Fabio Wardley's gift, wasn't it? Everyone knows a guy like Fabio Wardley. Whatever your background, you know a guy like Fabio Wardley. In the same way, everyone knew a guy like Carl Froch, right? And there's always that one guy, wasn't there? And your group of mates was that guy. He he had really weird ideas about things, but he was so confident with them, you know, and forceful with them, you know, I mean, that you couldn't budge him, right? And so Ben's got that, that, what do you call it, broad appeal. So what I hope with him is that there's a plan. I hope that 258 have a plan to actually take this guy to places they couldn't take AJ. Because AJ refused to give up the the Watford estate, you know, mystique and persona. He refused to give that up, which is up to him. But you got someone in Ben Whitaker who who can go to places Joshua couldn't. You know, if he fulfills his potential, that's the sort of guy you could see advertising a Rolex. If he does everything the right way, he could advertise a Rolex. He could advertise for Jaguar. He could advertise for anything. But there has to be a plan. And that means that his management team and more importantly, his family have to line up behind him now and say, listen, we all need to work from a, a common plan here. We can't freestyle this. We can't go into business for ourselves because this is how we help Ben Whitaker fulfill his true potential. I'm happy for him. I'd love to see him on Soccer AM. I'd love to see him on all of these things. Like he's, he's, he's a good kid. And I always go back to when I met him at the Harringay when he was boxing and he was just a lovely kid then. Uh, I, I knew he'd get to this level. Now the question is, can he get to that level of an Andre Ward? Can he get to that level where he's, he's considered in that breath? Can he get to a, a Canelo type level? He's got the talent to do so. He's got the design, the work ethic. Remember this kid went from 75 to 81 and silver medal at 81. And it was beating mature men at 81. So you've got to salute him. I think it's a, it's a good signing. Um, how you position him and who, who will his natural rivals be as he goes up. I think Carol Atalma is building up nicely for those two to become natural rivals. I think they're equally talented. They both have unlimited potential. I think Ben's a little bit ahead at the moment because of what he's done in the amateurs. I think he is. I think he's more confident in his style and his ability to impose that on others. But that gap's only going to close with time. And it's about whether both guys get the right inputs at the right times because that's going to be the difference maker. So as expected, Demetrius Andrade will not be going to Pride Park. He will not be boxing Zach Parker in Derby. And I have zero idea who thought that fight was viable. I have zero idea who thought that fight would sell tickets, right? It clashed with Richard versus Boatsy. So you weren't going to get eyes on it. You weren't going to get seeds. Boxing's not that big a market, is it? Where you can afford to have two fights like that, you know, one big British dust-up and another one for um, a vacant title. And let's be honest, no one really knows who Zach Parker is. And of those who know, about well, quarter really care. Harsh reality, but it's true. 
And so Demetrius Andre is going, why am I wasting my time? If Where's Frank going to get the money to pay me? So how about I don't do that? And I imagine Eddie will, will find him someone somewhere because Canelo's going to vacate the 168 belts anyway. Once you get to Undisputed, what's the point in holding the belts? So once they scatter, you just whack him in with someone. You could even put him in with like a rocky fielding. You know, and they'll find a way to, to sort of gerrymander the system that way. And so you look at that and you go, well, what does this mean for Frank? It just means no one's got confidence in Frank. Like even Dubois having to fight on a Don King show. Where's the development budget gone for Daniel Dubois? No one's asking Frank these questions. Where's the development budget for Daniel Dubois? Or have you now realized that you're not as confident as you thought you were? Where's the budget for Joe Joyce? I'm hearing he's going to fight Parker on July 2nd, but that's from a, a tweet by Empire Pro Tape. If that's true, then cool. Make some noise about it. Let's get excited about it. And tell us that the winner of this fights for a world title. Joe deserves it. Um, well, Joe Joyce does. I don't know if Parker does, if I'm being honest. But as fans, we're bored, aren't we? Let's be honest. We're bored of these, these half-hearted Frank Warren shows. Like, this guy spent 2020 just living off that Fury fight. That's it. Then what? At a point where you had Dubois, you had Yard, you had Denzel, and they're all flying and you, you just couldn't. You couldn't get out your own way. And no one asks Frank these questions. It's Frank, how are you making so many bad decisions in succession? Who's around you that you listen to? What's the Frank Warren brains trust? I don't know. I know it's the wrong brains trust because he doesn't seem close to what's happening in the sport. Because if he was, he'd invest his money elsewhere. You know, this Nathan Heaney thing doesn't work for me. You know, and I know people from Stoke listen to this. And I, I, Nathan Heaney's not going to fight for a world title. He ain't at that level. Right? He's not at that level. Nathan Heaney will not fight for a world title. Trust me. So what's the fuss about him? Yeah. Outside of Stoke, what's the fuss? Yeah, everyone dances around singing Delilah. Yeah, yeah, okay, great, well done. Cool, nice. You know, he does 1,800 tickets on his own. Yeah, nice. But at some point, they're all going to get bored and realize he's no good. Put him in with Zach Parker. Yeah, Midlands Derby. You need to sell out that Pride Park Arena. Just put him in there. I mean, let's have a good old domestic duster. But like I said, no one really cares about either guy. So, so you know, what's Frank doing? What's the plan? We never know what the plan is with Frank. What's the plan? Yard's waiting for this and that to happen. Nah, put him in with someone. Put him in with Dan Aziz. Yeah, put him in with Dan Aziz. Fight makes sense. He's got the Commonwealth. Dan's got the British. Let's unify those. At least we get an answer to, you know, who's who. And then the winner of that fights the winner of Richard's party. Let's, let's do that and let's try and manufacture that for a belt. The, those guys have earned that. They put that work in. So, yeah, it's another black eye for Frank. It's another reminder that without Bob Aaron behind him, Frank's not really killing it in the UK right now. Do you know one of the crazy things about boxing is how quickly you can become irrelevant? And that 2016 intake is becoming irrelevant. So I'm going to give you a clear example. Amanda Serrano fights Katie Taylor on Saturday. Most people with any passion are saying, well, who do you want to see those two in, in with next? I'm saying Natasha Jonas. Others will say Alicia Baumgardner. Some people at some point will say Terry Harper. But you know who they won't say? They won't say Michaela Mayer. I find it crazy that 
they've wheeled her out. Michaela Mayer's done commentary for like everyone. She's been at everyone's show, right? She's been at everybody's show. Um, I think at one point, maybe she still has shared a trainer with Shakur Stevenson. All of this. Yeah, she's plugged into the system and nobody cares if Michaela Mayer fights or not. That's how you can become irrelevant. That's how quick you can become irrelevant in boxing. Her, Hergovic, Yoka, rapidly becoming irrelevant. This 2016 intake are losing steam in a way that, that it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm asking myself, why are you not investing? It's Shakur and it's Lawrence Okoli, right? They're the only guys you're seeing being pushed. Where's everyone else? And a lot of it, you have to put squarely at the shoulders of the fighters because they're not making themselves interesting to us. You know, I'm seeing Michaela Mayer taking shots at Alicia Baumgardner about, oh, you're only famous for being Terry Harper. Okay, what are you famous for? Nothing. And, and so this is just a wider thing about that 2016 intake and how they're, they're rapidly becoming a bust. And they're definitely not as illustrious as their 2012 counterparts. So this weekend, we're going to see Canelo versus Dimitri Bivol. And I don't know how I feel about this fight because it really boils down to a couple of key questions, doesn't it? Has Bivol got the speed and the work rate to keep Canelo honest? You'd imagine no, because Canelo's been in with smaller guys who throw more punches. So then you go, okay, he must be heavier handed than Canelo. I don't necessarily think that's true either. I don't know if if Bivol would have stopped the version of Kovalev that Canelo stopped because he's not a heavily muscled, explosive sort of guy. You know, now people can debate the, the whys and the hows of all of that, but he's not. What Bivol is is a solid guy who will who will grind you down. If, if you don't know how to get out the way, if you don't know how to make him miss and make him pay, he will grind you down. Craig found that. But if you if you ask Craig, did Bivol actually hurt you? His answer is no. And I think if Craig reflects on that fight, he needed more confidence at that level. Had he had more confidence at that level, I think it's a lot closer. Because he wins, it's a lot closer. Now, Canelo's a different breed. Canelo's been in there with the best of them, been in there with the toughest of them. So there's nothing that he's scared of here. So there's no advantage that Bivol has. It's like, are you a better boxer? Can you stop Canelo doing what he wants to do? And can you impose your will on Canelo? And I don't think he can. I don't think he's got that kind of power. But you never know. He may have a trick up his sleeve. You know, I should ask Umar Sadiq what, you know, where, where Bivol is. I don't think, I don't think Umar was in camp for this one, but I think he, he spied Bivol before. So yeah, I, I might check it with him and see. But I imagine Canelo will win this. And then he's just looking for the rest of the belts, isn't he? And, and once again, he ascends to the top of the pound for pound list. And you've got to give him credit. The guy's a hell of a fighter. People ask me, do I think he's an all-time great? Um, beat Bivol, beat one other guy, and he's an all-time great. I think he is now, but that cements it beyond question. The nonsense talk about him fighting Usyk at 201 pounds was interesting for two reasons. One, like, where the hell does this nonsense come from? Number two, here's the kicker. Hearn was saying, why couldn't Canelo fight Usyk for the heavyweight titles? I thought Joshua was your guy. I thought you were confident that Joshua would come back and beat Usyk. Now, when your promoter is not confident that you're going to beat Usyk, he knows something. We're looking at that camp and like we're like, this doesn't feel like a camp that's a winning camp. 
This doesn't feel like AJ's learned the lessons. This doesn't feel like we're going to see a bigger version of AJ just coming for the knockout because that's the only chance he's got. These are my worries at the moment. You know, maybe there's something behind the scenes we don't know about, no idea. But the fact that Hearn's talking about Usyk fighting Canelo for the, for those heavyweight titles is, is a worry, but nothing I wouldn't expect otherwise. The other thing in the heavyweights which I'm happy about is the WBC have said to Tyson Fury, what are your plans? Because if you're going to retire, mate, vacate that belt, let's get it moving. We want to make our money. So imagine Fury will say, I'm undecided, you've got to give me until a mandatory is called or a voluntary is called, and then we'll go from there. But do I see Fury retiring? Nah. Do you know what? And this might be my last point for today. But I've seen that this whole Josh Taylor, Jack Capital thing still going. I guess this is what happens when your management team disintegrates and no longer exists. And now, you know, it's harder to get hold of the big boss. So you're getting all of this chaos and there's no orderly plan of succession. Now, if I'm being honest with you, am I bothered with Jack Capital fights Josh Taylor again? Nah. Josh may as well move on and fight someone like a Crawford. I mean, take his lumps and then fight Capital after that. I'm not that interested in the fight. I don't think Capital's a, a great watch. Never has been, never will be. I'd sooner see Josh back in with Ahara Davis, for goodness sake. But Josh is for bigger and better things. And I think Jack Cattrall's just got to take his lumps and move on. I'm surprised this is still going on. Like, you know, Josh Taylor's not the funniest guy in terms of banter. Neither is Jack Cattrall. Like, Ahara Davis had him on strings for fun. But, and I don't, it's weird. I don't understand how we create interest in boxing, right? And I'll use an example. You know, you see Adrian Broner larking around with comedians and, you know, we're so cynical in boxing that we say, ah, staged, I don't care. And then you see two people have an authentic rivalry and we're like, ah, I don't care. You know, we've moved past that. I don't know how you make boxing more interesting. I genuinely just think you get people fighting each other. Canelo's right. If you chase legacy, everything else will logically follow. If you keep chasing business decision after business decision, you're going to end up with a career that the fans don't respect. And these guys have a choice now. For me, Josh is going to move on and say, I'll fight anyone at 147. Fight Ugas, for God's sake, before you fight well, one of Crawford or Spence, but just get on with it. And I think he's under pressure now to get on with it. Whereas with Catrell, they stay at 140. No, stay at 140. If Teofimo is moving up, fight Teofimo. Get stuck in. A lot of these guys are just, they're just looking for easy paydays. And I don't necessarily sign off on that. So before I sign off, I just want everyone to, to take a few seconds and say a prayer for young boxer from Sheffield, Lewis Palmer. So last Thursday, he boxed in Glasgow and I think he sustained a uh, head injury, brain trauma, the usual. And they've placed him in an induced coma now. And all we can do is pray that he makes it through. And it's a reminder that this is a really dangerous sport and sometimes really bad things can happen. And it, it, it's raw because, like, from a pro boxing perspective, we're not far off the, the loss of Patrick Day. And if you look at the UK, we're not far off the losses of Mike Tal, Scott Westgarth, um, you know, even the, the issues around Nick Blackwell, um, Jerome Wilson. These are all relatively raw, raw wounds. So, you know, I don't know what the solution to this is. It's definitely part of the rehydration. It's definitely part of what you can consume during a fight. And I think the board need to be more progressive in what, you're allowed to have in the corner in order to keep your guy going. And even ahead of the fight, what are you allowed to give your guy in order to make sure that the 
the right micronutrients are in there because, you know, in the pressure of a fight, you're going to lose a lot. And just making sure you can replenish. But no, my prayers with him, his family, and those who are close to him because you never want to hear that. In the sport, you never want to hear that. So, you know, he is praying that Lewis Palmer pulls through and he gets to be around his family and loved ones again. I think that's probably the, the right tone to say, have a great weekend, guys, and don't worry, you will hear from me soon.